Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Isles podcast, episode number 81. What's going on? I am Matt O'Leary with Mitch Anderson. Mitch, how are you doing tonight? Good. I am good. How about you, Matt? How are you doing? I see you got a little uh, going on on your forehead there. I got the ashes. I was a good Catholic today. I got that after work in between my both work things. I had to go into Queens and I got home late. We're recording later. I'm all flustered. I literally sprinted up the stairs. I'm still in my work clothes, as Mitch could see, and I got a glass of water. That's it. That's all I've done. Haven't eaten yet, but I'm doing it for you oh my guys. God, you I love you guys. Eaten crazy, depriving yourself of food. Unreal. Yes, I live for the content, and I want to talk to you, Mitch, and everyone else. Perfect. All right, so well, let's let's do this so we get some food in your tummy at, at some point tonight. Uh, we are episode number 81. Like you said, there are two players that have worn 81. Oh, okay. Surprised I didn't know so this. So either it's Justin DiBenedetto, 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 yeah, or Miroslav Shatan between 2006 and 2008. I think there's a clear winner oh, there. I forgot that he, yeah, I forgot that he wore 81. Yeah. He wore 81. He played for the Isles for two years, like I said, between 06 and 08. He scored, man, he was pretty darn good because, of course, it was Shatan. 166 points in 243 games. Nice. Fantastic. Good job by him. Um, And he also, you know, got some playoff time in 06 or 07, 08. So, did pretty well there, right? Yeah. A nice 66-point season in 2005-2006. Wait, that was so good on him. He did not get playing time in 07-08. It was 06-07 for the Islanders. Got the wrong year. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so three points in five games in the playoffs for him there. And then he won the Stanley Cup two years later with Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, so he ended up lucking out there. Yeah, good job by him. Knows how to pick him. He certainly does, but someone who doesn't know how to pick him right now as in terms of shot selection at least is Anthony Beauvillier. He has been struggling mighty recently. He has three points in his last 20 or 21 games now after I Tuesday. I believe it's 21. 
it's at least 20 let me let me look here as, as you recount his his lack of production here so one, two, three, yes. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He's got three points in twelve games. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So sorry, four points in twenty games. That's pretty rough. That's not a good stretch of hockey. That's real bad. That's real from from a guy who's supposed to be a top six player. Four points in twenty games. And so it's not that he's supposed to be. He has been a top six player for most of this year. Right. Sorry. What I meant supposed to be, I meant like the production is supposed to be there. But you're right. He's been physically slotted in there. He was there just the other night against Senators, right? He's playing second line duties with Barzal. Yeah. And he's back on that line. And the production really isn't there. So he has a goal against Toronto. So, And most of these things are goals. Sorry. Go ahead. If... If we extrapolate that or uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just uh, not mortgage it out, but amortize it out over a full 82 game season. Mm-hmm. That's a 16.4 point pace. Round that up is 16. <laughs> 16 points over a year. That's so bad. That's so bad. And he's someone who played a majority of the time with Matt Barzell, too. Like, that's almost impossible. I feel like if you put me on that line, I'll be able to put up that pace. Apparently not. Apparently not. Matt Barzell is another thing that's going on right now. Uh, It's not that he's not a good player. It's he's not putting up the points. And I I know we're not here to talk about him necessarily. But I think as an extension of Beauvillier, we have to talk about Barzell. He's got one point in his last five games, Barzell does. And I think it goes even drier than that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, his last one, two, three, four, five, six games got two points. Two points in his last eight games. That's not even half a point do... per game pace. No. Do you think it has to do with line mates? So I think that's a huge effect on that because we see Beauvillier getting his chances, and like we saw against the Senators, just fires it wide. It was a two on one and fired it wide. Barzell with the perfect pass right on the stick. And he hit it wide. You're 10 feet out from the net. How did you hit that wide from a guy who's got 15 goals on the year? Of course, it happens. Obviously, it's just it's happening too frequently for Beauvillier. Uh, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, I feel like every time we turn around, it's Anthony Beauvillier shooting something wide. Like, he's got to hit the net way more often than what he does. Uh, did, did he and, and Ryan Pulak switch sticks at some point? They might have. Maybe they got to check the name on the stick and be like, Oh, Tabernacle, she put Bouvillier là for change mon bâton. So Pulak in his English is going to go like, oh, crap, that's not my stick. That's a much longer day than Pulak. Whoops. Maybe they got to do and, that. Although, I don't know. I kind of want Pulak to keep scoring. Well, Bouvillier has have fun written on his stick, so we should know which one is his. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, so like you were getting to it, the question is that is Barzal's dry production a function of his, his line mates? And, and then we can get into deeper discussion on Beauvillier. And I think absolutely. We're, we're, we, we know Barzal is not a shooter. He's shooting more frequent, frequently now than he was last year. If we're looking at the numbers, he has 146 shots this year to 170 from last year. He's going to break 170, I would imagine. I, I haven't done the math yeah. just yet there, but 146 divided by... 66 times 82, 181. He's going to break it. So he's shooting more frequently. 
um, which is, isn't something you expect him to do. And we always know he's going to pass. He's going to look for that pass first. And he's doing that. But his line mates just aren't converting on those opportunities. Again, against the Ottawa Senators. It's the Ottawa Senators for crying out loud. And he fires it wide. Oh, buddy, come on. It's not been a good year for Anthony Wauvillier, who, like Mitch said, yes, he has 15 goals now, but he only has seven assists. So that's 22 points in 65 games. That If he goes pointless, or even if he has one point in the Islanders' next game tomorrow, that would be less points than he produced in his rookie year when he had 24 in 66 games as a 19-year-old. This is two years later where he's coming off a 36-point season last year. You're expecting him to take another step and become a 40-point player. You would expect that. You would expect him to take a step forward. And he's shooting just as frequently. Like, if we're going to use the Matthew Barzell uh, argument, is he shooting less? No, he's got 132 shots this year. He had 132 shots last year over 71 games. He's shooting more. It's just, I think, the issue for Barzell is we can say he's gripping the stick too tight. It's just, I don't think he's picking his spots right. Or he's not popping up in the right spots. He's not giving himself the right... Uh, or he's not shooting in in the right areas to give himself the best chance to score. No, he's not. And because of that, he's he's dropping in ice time. Like, or he he was he was playing like ten minutes and fourteen minutes. He played thirteen against Philly, and then because of injuries, he had to go in the top six and ended up playing sixteen minutes that night. Yeah, but you see, like on on average for the. I'm glad you brought that up. His average time on ice per game is 14.53, which is an improvement from last year. But if you look at the player that he was last year, it's night and day. So, well, especially when you consider the second half. So we all remember that Bovillia went down to the AHL for like 25 seconds and then was back up in the NHL because Josh Bailey got hurt. And I'm going to say Andrew Ladd got hurt. Either. Yes. Yeah, it sounds about right. Anyways, two fours went out. They had to bring him back up. Uh, and he never looked back. Just put buckets, low, bucket load of goals and just scoring like crazy. Um, it looked like a new player. And we did the math and he was on pace for 60 points if you just use that second half of the 2017-18 season. And so we thought, okay, he may not be a 60-point player next year, but he's going to be something close to that. Maybe between 40 and 50 points seems like a fair shout out. He's not even getting close to that. He's nowhere near the same player he was last year. And it's not like he was playing with anyone different. He was playing with Matthew Barzal. The expectation should be the same. The difference is coaching. And the coaching got better, too. That's the scary part. Well, well, it, it did in so much as they're winning. But did it get better for a player like Beauvillier? Because we know that the difference between... Doug Waite and Barry Trotz is offense versus defense, whereas Doug was very much offense first and Barry's very much defense first. And there's a reason that one is getting paid $4 million and one isn't coaching right now, because one strategy is better. <laughs> it's clear which one True. that one is. My counter argument to, for that would be then how do you explain Brock Nelson improving on offense? Well, and that's right. So it suits certain players and it doesn't seem to be suiting Anthony Beauvillier. So do you move him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Lou is looking at that at the trade deadline, right? So, uh, what would you put the odds of him being on this team next year at? Good odds? Bad odds? Bad odds. Percent, like, a uh, percentage, I guess, will do, because that's easier than odds. 
35%. That he's here next year? Yeah. That's not bad. I think maybe four. I was going to go 40 and say 60% he's not. See, the, the way I'm looking at it is we know that Lou is looking to add. He was trying to add at the deadline and couldn't. So he's probably going to try to make a move at the at the draft for something. Maybe someone's looking to get a first round pick and Lou doesn't necessarily need that first round pick. So if he can give his first round pick to a team that's rebuilding with assets, with players on, on contracts, then all right, now we're talking. It's just finding who that is. And I know that's, that's not a- what we're talking about here, but then you you would have to package Anthony Bovillier in that because that other team is going to want younger NHL-ready players. And that's what Bovillier is. To, I, I think Bo's problem here um, is just he doesn't fit the system. It's just his style of play is not conductive to a Barry Trotz system. And that's perfectly fine. Like a certain skill sets just don't match. And, and I just don't think that he matches what's being given or what's being asked of him here. Okay. I I guess I would tend to agree with that statement. And I do think that it would be better off for both sides if they parted ways. I know that him and Matthew Barzell are really close. But if you can get the opportunity to improve your roster and you don't have to have guys like Anthony Bovillier in your top six, you're probably better off. And does that even just like act as a detractor to someone like Lou saying Matthew Barzell's best friends here, he's just comfortable? Why don't we try to make him not comfortable? Not not like we have to make him uncomfortable, but we have to remove any sort of idea of complacency is that everything is A-OK and that he may not have to work as hard. It's not trying to say that Barzell isn't working hard, but let's maybe kind of shift his focus to what's happening on the ice rather than him and his buddy. Like Lou strikes me as the type of GM saying like, I don't care that your best friend's here. I'm not, you're not here to make friends. You're here to win games. Yeah, that does seem very Lou Lamarillo-esque. And at the end of the day, it probably is the right decision. I like Beauvillier. I just don't think production-wise it's going to work out. Well, and that's just it. I don't think anyone's going to come up to you and say, like, I hate Anthony Beauvillier. Actually, you know what, scratch that. I'm pretty sure there's some people out there who would say that. Uh, I don't think he's a good player, blah, blah, blah. Uh, He's a good player. It's just I don't think, like you said, it's working in this system. I just don't think that this system is conductive to someone like Anthony Bovillier, who's a bit smaller, who isn't necessarily the most strong defensive presence. Like we saw him against, um, who was it, the Philadelphia Flyers defenseman that I'm, I'm blanking his name. Something with an S. Uh, anyways, the second goal that the, that Philly scored, Bo was tossed like a ragdoll from the defensive zone, just clear the center of the ice, leaving... Player X with an S for last name. God, why can't I think of his name? Um, to score a goal unobstructed because Bo was nowhere to be found because he got shoved right out of the way. Uh, and then add to that the fact that he's not producing offensively because he's not getting in a position where he can score. And you're going, well, this player is completely ineffective for us, so we have to move him. Were you thinking of Travis Sanheim? Thank you. Sanheim, yes. Is that the first one? She, it was the second one because Konechny scored the, the first one. Yeah, I kept thinking Shane Gostisphere, but that's not who you were thinking of. Clearly. No, because wasn't he injured? Yes. Yeah. But you said S, and that's the kept popping in my head. Right. <laughs> okay, so for, for Beauvillier, obviously he is struggling right now. Is he a part of this long-term plan? I think me and Mitch both say no. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. And what what do you think? What do you think they do with him then? Do you think they try to move him at the trade deadline, or do you think they try to do something else with him? At the draft? Sorry, yes, draft, yes. Yeah, I would think that's probably the next time, because obviously right now it's past the trade deadline, got to wait till the season's over, and then the next time things heat up again is at the draft. Travis Hamannick was just traded at the draft a couple of years ago. That was the last really big move from the Islanders at draft time, so... We see moving pieces all the time. It it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's just picking out that team that has pieces that we want to pick up that are trying to rebuild, like the Kings maybe, but for Tyler Toffoli, all right, okay, I could could start thinking about that, but are you going to give Bo and a first for Tyler Toffoli who might have a year left on his deal, if I'm not mistaken, which I might be? I feel like he might even just be a UFA this year. I'm going to have to look it up right like now. I feel like he has one more year. But sounds about Kings right. Is probably, the Kings is probably a good option because they have at least have some names. Yeah, Toffoli's got next year at $4.6 26-year-old forward. Uh, he is not having a great year this year, but no one on the Los Angeles Kings is. Um, so he's still got age. Uh, he's going to be a UFA at the end of his deal, which is not... Great, but I don't think he's going to ask us to go somewhere else. He's got 28 points this year. Not great, but he put up 58 points just three years ago. So That's true. There's potential there. It's just can Barry Trust get that potential out of him? And do you trade a bow, bow and a first for him? That seems like a lot. It does seem like a lot. I don't know. Maybe you look at like an Anaheim Ducks. Too. They seem like a team that could be looking to sell off some pieces who you end up bringing in. Don't know, but I'm just trying to think of teams that would be looking to maybe get rid of some of their older players and start fresh. Like, and that, they come to mind. Yeah, they come to mind, but the, the players that are that they're probably going to move are, are, are Getzlaff and Perry, but they're, they're 33 year old players with huge deals. I'm not. I don't, I'm not keen on that. If they're if they're willing to move Rickard Raquel. I am all in, but that's what I, I was gonna say. What about Raquel? I'm not sure they want to move him on the deal he's on. Like you, you're talking about a 30 to 40 goal score at 3.7 million. That's a super low hit. He only has nine goals this year, right? But he put up 34 the year before that, and 33 the year before that one. True. So, well, if you give him a first Beauvillier and a prospect. I think they'd think about it. Yeah, you're right. And that does sound a lot when you're thinking like, well, this guy only put up 28 points this year at the moment. But you're also considering he's got a real friendly deal. And that was part and parcel the appeal for Travis Hamannick and why we got so much in return, right? We got a first mm-hmm. and, and two seconds for him um, because that that deal was super friendly for a top four defenseman. So if you're yeah, giving you us a 30-goal score with not making more than $4 million. Wow, that's worth something. I don't know if they would move him, but that name certainly sticks out to me. Yeah. Again, no trade protection either. Like, oh, that is tasty. And he could play on either wing. Oh, tasty. 25 years old. You're talking me into it hard. Hey, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Love it. Uh, let's get into some Andrew Ladd conversation now, Mitch. He is back, and he's quietly been producing for the New York Islanders. He didn't have a point against Ottawa, but in the last four games, he did have a point since his return. So he's played four games since his return, 
but he's got four points in his last four, right? He, the last, the, the that, fourth one was in November. That's how I meant to say it, yes. And I think he's even got one. No, he doesn't have one before that. Uh, so, yeah, he's got three points in his last four games since coming back from injury. Um, he's looking okay. I'm not going to say he's good because uh, we've seen him hit up some slashing calls five minutes to the end of the game, typical oh, Andrew sure. Ladd fashion. Uh, but he's putting up points, and that that's really what matters. For him, I think it's, it's again, a function of line mates. Like, He's not good enough to be on the, on that second line with Barzal. Just it's just not the, the foot speed just isn't there to keep up, and the type of game he plays isn't conductive to Matthew Barzal uh, matchup. But he's almost too good to be with like Leo Komarov because Leo Komarov gives up the puck a lot, and Andrew Ladd isn't there to be like going up and down the ice in, in quick transition like that. He's let's go into the zone, let's establish some presence, and let's move this puck around efficiently. Uh, and that's his kind of game. It's a little bit slower, uh, harder hitting, uh, which kind of suits Komarov. But it's just not good when you've got a guy giving up the puck like Komarov does. No, but I think he works well with Valtteri Filippola. That's right. So if they had another winger like a Michael Del Cole, that could work. Although I guess Ladd's a lefty, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. and I think Del Cole and Ladd are kind of too similar. Yeah, but that's fine. I'm okay with that. You're getting a better player in Dal Cole than you are with Komarov in terms of skill, not in terms of efficiency in the NHL because Komarov has got that experience. But I, although I guess I'm talking myself in a circles here because the whole my whole point here is that Komarov gives the puck up way too much, and Dal Cole does not. That's true. Uh, I was gonna say, but. It- it doesn't really help your argument. I would like to see Joshua Sang on that line. I, a lad. I would like to see Joshua Sang on any line. I don't even care, I don't even care right now. I don't care. <laughs> lad, and he's worked well in the past with Lad and Filipula. So I think that would be an interesting third line. Lad, Filipula, and Hosang. Yeah, because Hosang is, is quick of foot, but you wouldn't call him speedy. Uh, and he creates that space that someone like Andrew Lad, who has a terrific wrist shot, could absolutely take advantage of. Um we just haven't seen Hosang on the ice yet. I'm sure we'll see him tomorrow against the Ottawa Senators. I'm sure of it. I don't see why they would call he didn't him. Get, I, I think he got sent back down. He's sent back down, but then sent back up. So if you look at Michael Fornabio's tweets, there's uh, he, he goes, they sent him back down and they called him back up on an emergency. I, I guess the emergency he was called up for ended. And so they had to call him back on another emergency probably. Okay, so it's kind of a semantics game then. Probably, yeah. Like I, I think what he he said in his tweet is just is like this is paper stuff. This is all. Okay, yeah. so that confused me because I saw the going down when I didn't see the coming back. But I would like to see him in the lineup. I don't know if we are going to. And when I wrote about him getting the call up and Del Cole too the other day, I mentioned that line and how I think both Lad and Filipilla would benefit from having Hosang who is a little bit more skilled where they bring the veteran presence that is definitely needed. I think it would mesh well together and enhance Andrew Ladd's game, who right now he has 10 points in 18 games, which is on pace for 46 over a full season. Obviously, he's not going to play that. Right. But if you add that offensive skill that Hosang could bring, it could be an interesting scoring depth line. On just just Ladd's... I want to talk about Ladd's production, and then we'll get to that, that scoring depth line that, that I... Absolutely enjoy. I love that. Uh, I like that you brought up his his um, his pace. He's scoring at what? What do you say? Like four uh, 
how many points? So it's uh, 10 divided think, by 18. He's scoring yeah. at point fifty five points per game. So just over half a point per game. Put that into context from last season where he had 29 points in 73 games. That's .397, so .4 points per game. He's on a .15 point difference or increase. That's That doesn't sound like a lot, but you average that out over 82 games. That's a lot of points. That's that's a lot more production. It's still not necessarily worth 5.5, but you're getting close. You're getting close where you can justify that. Again, yeah, only if you're playing a full season. I'm not saying like he, with his 10 points, he's now justified his 5.5 billion, but he's playing a game. If you're looking at over the year, you're going, all right, like I can take that kind of Andrew Ladd. But even at this point, I would take the 40 points. Like even if it was at oh yeah, play, of course. Let's say 75 games, 40 points. Yeah, and then him in the playoffs, I take that on my third line any day. So, that, that, and that's the thing with Andrew Ladd coming back. So I, I'm not excited that he's coming back, but I, it's not like we're bringing back Chris Wagner or something or Brandon Davidson. It's like th- there's something to this where you can get something out of it, and it seems that the Islanders are getting something out of this. Right. I think the one mistake that they made though was that he was their trade deadline acquisition. Oh well, you have to say that. That that's a PR move you make nine like ten times out of ten. That you see every team in the NHL, baseball, basketball, football. Does football have a trade deadline? I assume they do. Uh, yeah. So, like, they, they, they all say that, like, we got a guy coming back for injury. And it's like, well, that's like having a trade. That's like trading a guy, except we didn't have to trade anything for him. That's like what the Mets are going through right now with Jonas Cespedes because he's supposed to come back midseason. So everyone's trying to talk. Oh, it's like acquiring someone at the deadline. I hate that argument but it, so much. But it is, right? You are getting a guy back that wasn't there, uh, that you didn't have, that has something to give, that could give something, and you're getting him back for nothing, right? Like, what do you have to That's give true. up? Although, nothing. I guess you could argue you're giving up maybe keeping Joshua's hanging in the lineup. Yeah, or Michael Del Cole. Right. But he, I mean, he played last night, obviously. Right. Or, yeah, last night. And so that gets us back into the conversation of the Lad, Philpola, Joshua Sang type of lineup. I don't think we'll see that. It seems that Lou really, or not Lou, but Barry likes to play Michael Del Cole over Joshua Sang, which I'm fine with. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see Joshua Sang, but after what I saw from Michael Del Cole last night, I'm okay. Like Dal Cole's played well. He got a really great assist on a on a even better Devin Taves goal. He played solid. He was good in both zones. I was okay with Michael Dal Cole. I, I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, he's looks like he can be an okay third line player. Yes. One hundred percent. Like uh yeah. I was gonna say like a Brock Nelson, but no, definitely not. No. No, nah, I wouldn't even go as as much as that. I don't <laughs> Can I even think of someone who would be a good example? Uh, like no, Carl Hagelin comes to mind just oh, in terms of one. like production. Definitely not in terms of foot speed. Um, but like Hagelin. Gra- Michael Grabner? Not even then. Like no speed there. Like Hagelin's best year is 39 points. Like he, I could see yeah. Michael Dacol peaking at a, th- at a 39 point pace. Peaking. I see him. Between 30 and 40, like always in that range. Yeah, most. Like that's at most, and that that's best case scenario in my mind. So best case scenario, Carl Hagelin type production. Who did you have in mind? You got all excited there for a second. I did? 
Maybe you were talking about Grabner. I don't know why, because the produ- mm. the production is kind of similar, I guess. So maybe, but the foot speed also is not there. No, it's not. Uh, maybe Nick Benino. Yeah. Yes. Nick Benino is a good one. That's a good comparison. Although Nick Benino is a center, but like this, it's the same type of game. Um, just played on the wing instead of the center. Right. His career high was 49, but the other seasons you have 39, 29, 37, 25, and 29 so far. Yeah, you're talking yourself into like a 30, 35-point player. Hagelin-esque. So, Agree. And that, that's the best case scenario for Michael Duck Hole. But getting back to Andrew Ladd, we're getting something out of him. And that's all that matters at this point of the season is that he's not coming in and being a detriment to the team. Mm-mm. Wow. Again, slashing five minutes at the end of the third period. That's yeah, a little different. Yeah, yeah like that happens, and that's, that's, that's going to happen with Andrew Ladd. That happened all of last year. It's already happening this year. It's minimizing that. If it happens once out of five games, all right, it's still negative, but it's not as negative as it can be. And and a lot of people might be saying, well, he sucks. And you're like, well, you're not necessarily wrong. It's that we're trying to find the silver lining here because we have to. Because we're yes. forced to, because Andrew Ladd is not going anywhere. <laughs> no, right. And at this point, like we've been hitting this entire time, if you can get Andrew Ladd on your third line giving you 20 goals and between 35 and 40 points, you sign up for it. I know it's not worth the $5.5 million. I know it's an awful contract, but at least you can get something out of him, a, being a half-productive third-line player. That's fine. Yeah, ideally, we'd like to trade that. Yeah, ideally find someone who's willing to take that $5.5 million for the next five years. Yeah, but you're not going to find someone like that. Maybe no. Seattle when they come into play. Maybe. And that is that is a very strong maybe because even then, at that point, are they really going to want Andrew Ladd? Mino thinks so. Not at 35, 36. Yeah, but again, like you got the Marc-Andre Fleury narrative. It's just Fleury is a better player positional-wise, like position to position than, than Andrew Ladd is. True. Like Andrew Ladd's not going to go to Seattle and put up fifty points. No, no. Right. So like, whereas Mark Andre Fleury can go there and get forty wins or whatever the heck he's doing right now, which is insane at his age. I don't know how he keeps doing it, yeah. but he is the fountain of youth. Yes. All right. Want to get into some aisle schedule talk, Mitch? Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about the remaining schedule because that's what we have to do right now. Uh, we have how many games left in the season? They're at 66. So was that? I'm not me no good at math. 16? 16. Yeah, I there did it. Yes. Proud of you. Um, they have 16 games to go. A total of 32 points left. I think they're on pace for 102 right now. Uh, but m- the month of March is going to get tough because they're playing every other night. Almost, I think they have a one two day break in there, and that's next week, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Hit the nail on the head. Um, and, and there's two back to backs as well. And, and it uh, there's some. There were obviously, we're playing the Ottawa Senators just the other night. Last night, we're playing them tomorrow. Uh, that that should have been a guaranteed four points. So far, two points. Although we let we almost didn't get one. And then there's games against two against the Philadelphia Flyers, one against the Detroit Red Wings. And then other than that, it's all basically playoff teams, which is rough. For the most part, yeah. Like, I'm looking right now, so you have Ottawa tomorrow. Saturday is Philly, then Columbus, Montreal, Detroit, Minnesota, Boston, Montreal, 
Philly, Arizona, Columbus, Winnipeg, Buffalo. That closes out the month. So I know some people say, technically speaking, at this point in time, Columbus is not a playoff team, uh, nor is Arizona. But those are both those both of those teams are right on the bubble, right in the mix. Like Arizona is three points off with a game in hand on Minnesota, uh, which is insane. And uh, Columbus is two points back of Montreal with a game in hand. And they made all those crazy trade deadline acquisitions. So like th- those are teams fighting for playoff spots. They are not out of it, uh, looking in, hoping to get in. They are teams very much in the mix. And the Philadelphia Flyers aren't even that far off, right? Like they're seven points back. It- it's almost insurmountable at this point. But the way they're playing, they're 7-2-1 in the last 10. They're not out of it just yet. So it's not going to be an easy month for the New York Islanders. They they really have to figure themselves out because they have struggled this month. They've only played three games, but they've won once. And it was a 5-4 shootout win against the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, it was not in any de- decisive fashion either. No, well, exactly. Again, 5-4 against the Ottawa Senators. So they have how many games left this month? They have 16 left to play. They play they have 13 games. So to you, Matt, what? how much do they need to pull out of the, the remaining month of March? So they have 26 points up for grabs. How many do they need to leave by the end of the month to like stay afloat into like top of the division? I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about like even just being okay with dropping into the wild card. How many do they need to stay where they are now? Hmm. I'm going to say 18, 17, 18. So what is that exactly? That's not 500 pace, nine. right? No, uh, like nine and four. That's a 0.69. Yeah, I was going to go something like that. I was thinking of, uh, of staying at 500. But then when you look at the division with Washington going 7-3-0 and in the last 10, Carolina 8-1-1, and and Carolina is only four points back, uh, you're thinking... Any slip up, and the Islanders can slip down pretty quick. They could tumble pretty far. So they, they even going 500 isn't going to be enough. They're going to have to no. go well over, not maybe well over, but over 500. And and I, I think, like you said, going at a .69 pace, uh, I think will do it. That'll get you first place. It should. It should get you first place. Again, like the Washington Capitals, the Carolina Hurricanes are right there. And, and the Washington Capitals are... are we're level on points with them. The only reason we're ahead of them, I think, is because of goal differential. Well, keep in mind, the Islanders end the regular season April 6th on the road in Washington. That is going mm. to likely be a huge game, playoff positioning-wise. That's true. So they, they played uh, Washington before at the, the top of the month, and they'll play, and like you said, they end the season against Oh, that's going to be a gooder one. Um, but we're just talking about the month of March. And so can they go at that point six nine? So can they get 18 wins out of this? Sorry, not 18 wins, 18 points. 18 points. So can they get nine wins here? You're figuring they, they should be able to get the one against Ottawa, mm-hmm. right? And if you're figuring they can get at least one against, or not one, at least one, but they can get their Detroit one, you've now got two. So you got to pick up seven wins. Um, Let's say you drop the Minnesota game because that's a back-to-back after the, uh, on the road. Uh, you drop, okay. let's say, the Philly game or the Arizona game because that's, again, one of those is a back-to-back or the, the Arizona one's a back-to-back. So you're talking to yourself mm-hmm. about it. you got to beat Carolina at least twice. Or, sorry, you got to beat Carolina twice and then you got to beat Montreal once at least. 
And then you got to beat Boston, Winnipeg, Buffalo. Those are tough teams to beat. Yeah, I don't like that Boston matchup. I, I think Buffalo, you have a good shot against Columbus. I think you have a good shot against they seem to play them really well. Yeah, but I'm worried about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yes, they haven't been playing that well yet, but they've brought in so many faces that at some point they're going to turn it on. They're going oh, to, no, you're to right. figure it out. Um, and when they do, look out. Like, Matt Duchesne takes a while to get to get accustomed. We saw that with the Ottawa Senators. And when he did, holy Hannah, did he put yeah. on a show. So if he gels a little bit quicker this time, look out. They they could be, I don't think they'll take over the top of the division, but they could prove uh, a, a significant speed bump for the New York Islanders. Absolutely. Um, and, and that just means that that's, that's a lot of divisional games as well, right? Like they play how many teams out of divi- uh, sorry out of conference? They play three out of conference games and then another four, sorry, five out of division. Oh, that's a lot of out of division games. Never mind. There's not a lot of divisional games. There's four with yeah, the yeah. Philly and, and Columbus games. Yes. So that's eight points movement. And you got the Philly games. They're pretty much done because, like I said, they're they're close but they're not that close like they have to win those two games and they have to win every single other game after that so it's not going to be easy but if you can steal nick two points off of them should be all right then at that point they'd be in good shape right so if they can get seven wins out of the month sorry eight wins out of the month i know that's not the 18 you said that's the 16 that that i'm putting forward i think they'll be all right and if they again if they can do that by beating Ottawa, beating Detroit. That's two now. They just need another six. They could take one from Philly. We're now at three. They can take one from Montreal. We're now at four. One from Columbus. We're at five. And then they just need to do three more is what I said, right? So yes, that's where the tough part becomes. If they can nick the Buffalo one, you're seven, you're six. If you can nick the Arizona one, because they're not that great, but they're playing better. It's at home. You're now at seven. Now you got to find somewhere else. If you can take another one from Philly, I think you'll be golden. But that's two from Philly. You got to be take two from Philly in the month and go two for one, or sorry, two for three against Philly this month. I think that's going to be a tall task. It will, but it's a team that they should beat. On paper, they are better than them in the standings. Well, yeah, they're better than them on the standings, but I don't know if they're better on paper. Right, Giroux. Couturier, Voracek, Gosses Beher, Carter Hart, although like the Isles goalies are I, pretty good, so But mm. Philly's not gonna make the playoffs and the Islanders are. Well we again we don't know if Philly's not gonna make the playoffs for sure. I'm just they're they're far out. Again, they're seven points out with a game in hand, but like with the way they're playing, seven, two, and one, uh, it's tough to rule them out. Now they're certainly doing everything in their power to stay alive. So all I'm trying to say is that month, the month of March is going to be difficult. The month of March features a number of speed bumps or, or, or points where the Islanders could wobble like Philly, like Columbus, um, and even Arizona. Uh, but they're going to have to figure out their A game. And I'm glad that they're playing the Ottawa Senators now because, yes, they, they almost didn't win against the Ottawa Senators, but that's a team where you can try things out and probably still come some, come out with something like they did. Um, 
so that when they get into a game like the Philadelphia Flyers, they've done some tinkering and experimentation beforehand, and they should have fewer surprises roster-wise, assuming they're healthy, of course. Right. Uh, all under the assumption that they're healthy. Right. Anything else on the schedule before we move along? I'm just looking forward to playoff hockey. I can't wait. I can't wait to see Islanders play a hockey again. It's been too long. It has been a long time. I am ready to jump into it. It's going to be a fun rest of the month. Now, we got to talk about it. It happened this past week. We covered it live from the Coliseum. The Tavares return. Mitch was here. Overall thoughts from the experience? Um, best experience of my life. I've I've <laughs> never been part of something more cerebral where everyone was on the same wavelength with a thousand people like I've gone to concerts with and you're all like oh my god I can't believe we're all here but everyone is experiencing it in a different way like that's my favorite song or this is my favorite song so I'm enjoying this portion of it like when I saw Blink 182 for the first time best like I thought that was the most amazing experience of my life and when I saw them play Carousel I lost my mind but my brother was waiting for uh, damn it that's what he really wanted to see. Um, so, like, we're experiencing the same thing, but we're experiencing it differently. Whereas when we went to the Coliseum, we were all experiencing the same thing in the same way. And that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, I I went, obviously, and I've talked to people who I work with who also went to the game. And they're not so much into hockey, but it sold them that night they said that was awesome they've never been in an environment like that before and i agree i think it had more intensity than the playoff games that i've been to yeah because it meant more to us on an individual level like yes the results of a hockey game matter and especially when it comes to the playoffs but this wasn't even just about a hockey game this was about us as individuals and as fans we felt individually slighted and so we each got to take it out and let it rip. And it's, oh, God, it felt good. It felt so good. Because it was 13,000 people who took Tavares leaving for Toronto personally. That's what it was. Yeah. All at once and all letting it rip at once. It was, uh, it, I've never experienced something louder. Again, I've gone to concerts before. Uh, and th- th- it's all co- consistently loud, but this was just consistently loud by the voices of the 13,000 people and not from like the 13,000 speakers blaring into my ear. This was just 13,000 voices in harmony at once. It was a, it was a different kind of loud. Obviously, concert's going to take the cake because you have the speakers blasting it too, but just as a pure just human element there, I've never been in an atmosphere like that. The old barn was rocking pretty good. My ears were ringing when I left there. My voice still has not recovered fully. I'm at like <laughs> a 95%. And it's been almost a full week. I don't I don't get I, I have to do vocal exercises to, to do something with my throat because I'm still not good. I'm still not good. Can, can we talk about the return Oh, to Toronto for Tavares too. Can we because can we get to the keep to the game and then bring that one like do a like, little cr- chronology. So start from okay. our game and then get to where he was because I think what happened in Nassau uh, was a direct or th- what happened in Toronto was a direct result and response of what happened in Nassau. Okay, so uh, during the game, the chants, the chanting. Oh my God, that was the best part of it was the chanting. I, I still can't, to me, my favorite chant, we said it before on the Patreon, was uh, it's past your bedtime or thanks for leaving or, oh God, what was the other one? 
Where's your jammies? Where's your jammies? Yes. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. Um, I got texts consistently from friends and family going, I can't believe the chirping that's happening there. It's next level stuff. Yeah, because usually like you go to a game and maybe, yeah, it's you and your buddies are chirping people on the ice, but it's four of you. Like, you know that the player is not hearing you. This was 13,000 people doing the same chant at the same time at one player on the opposing team. I've like we've hit on it a million times already, but never seen anything close to that. Exactly. And so that brings us to the post-game comments because there's stuff that happened during the game and uh, it's not the stuff that that, that was thrown at him or anything of the sorts that affected him. I think it was the chance that really got to him because after the game, he spoke to the media and he did his typical John Tavares thing. Well, um, uh, you know, I I just uh, played hard out there and I tried to just like give it my all and thank, thank the people who are there to support me. And, uh, you know, uh, yep, that's, uh, that's all I need to say. And, uh, bleep, blah, bloop, uh, where's my motor oil? Um, he did that, but he did it differently this time. There was, his head kept moving all over the place. Like he wasn't settled. He seemed ticked off. He was ticked. It bothered him. It really bothered him. The Islanders fans got to John Tavares. He didn't say it did, but you can tell in his mannerisms that John Tavares was bothered. Well, he said they never walked in my shoes. So that kind of says it right there. He was mad. He was so mad and salty. It was great. That's the best part is that we got to him. Well, I mean, he got to us first, so he's got to ask him for it. Well, exactly. He got to us by like being just not smart. Like, I get, and, and I, I take um, Sean McIndoe's point. Uh, Sean McIndoe or Dan Glass Brown from The Athletic had said, like, there's nothing that Tavares could have done that wouldn't have made you mad. And, he, and he's right. At a certain point, we'd always, we'd always be mad. No matter what, he chose to leave. Even if he was like, I want to leave, sorry, we'd still be mad. Um, the level of anger may be a little bit different because we feel extra slighted because of the way it was happening. But he's right that we'd be mad no matter what. But we're still allowed to be mad no matter what. And we're allowed to let him know how we feel because, yes, he's like, oh, I gave you guys everything I could for nine years. Okay, well, we gave you everything for nine years too, bud. So, like, it's not our fault that Gar Snow was an idiot. We tried to tell you. We tried to tell you he was an idiot. <laughs> And the crazy part is it's not like he left for more money. Like for making the comparison to baseball just because this contract was just signed. So the Bryce Harper deal yeah. with him going to the Phillies for $330 million. Like, yeah, if you're a Washington Nationals fan, you're probably upset that you lost Bryce Harper. But it's not like he was offered more money from your team. There was a $30 million difference. That's huge. The Islanders with their eighth year offered Tavares more money in total, that he would have he would have received. So that's the crazy part to me. Yeah, and so in the end, we we, we got to him, like you said, because he got to us. Uh, and you can tell in his post game conference that that we had gotten to him because he kept referencing the fact that the people who were there to support me and the people who supported me, making a point of not, of of leaving out the people who aren't supporting him. Clearly, the thirteen thousand people in attendance. Um, so that that leads us into the Toronto game that you brought up, and they went, they 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 did their thing. Yes, and they made so Toronto's mayor made it to Varis Day first, right? Did he really? 
God, he's I'm such a pretty sure. God, I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just I I, I choose. I thought I saw not to listen to anything coming out of Toronto. That's just usually something I try I try to do actively. Um, so I, I don't I don't doubt you that he would have done something like that. So it was Tavares Day. Comes out. God, what a dumb thing to do. The spotlights on him. They leave him at the blue line, waving to the crowd. They're going nuts as the announcers going, and number 91, John Tavares. And the, the crowd is going crazy. Like, obviously, we know why. It's because of just what happened uh, last Thursday. But that was the lamest man-made thing I've ever seen. The difference was ours was natural. It was just a reaction, and theirs was like, okay, we have to make this better so he feels comfortable and safe here. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. Like, Toronto, do what you want. Like, we're allowed to do what we want. You guys do what you want. I don't I don't care. Just don't come at me and say, like, we're an, you're an embarrassing franchise for doing what we did. Okay, well, no. let, let's list off the embarrassing things that you've done as a franchise. Paper bags over your faces. Check. Throwing jerseys on the ice. Checks on both sides, but still. Check. Um, harassed a player's wife because the team capitulated in front of him in a game seven of a playoff series. Check Toronto. Um, threw egos on the ice for some stupid reason. Check. <laughs> Ran a guy out of town because he ate hot dogs. Check. Check. Like that's all in the last like five ten years. Let alone everything that's happened before that. So like Toronto, if you if you want to like have an embarrassing off, like you you've, you're you're clearly winning it. You, you've redeemed yourself in, in so much as what you did for the, for Tavares was nice. It's a nice thing that they did, and and that's that's their their right to do so. I'm 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 not going to say that what they did was dumb. What what the mayor did was dumb, I think. But like that's PR points. He's re-election, I'm sure soon. So like whatever, um, and that's fine. But I, what I like more about this is the drama, the tension that is building between Islanders fans and Toronto Maple Leafs fans. It's I love it. I love it. Oh, I love rivalries. Yes, it makes it more fun. It makes the game better with rivalries it, and heels and all that stuff. And like, man, we live rent free in Rangers heads. We live rent free in Toronto heads. Like, we have like some high priced real estates across international boundaries. That we do. That <laughs> we certainly do. So overall, pretty successful week for the Islanders and Tavares Day. Correct. Sure, I guess. Hi, what do you mean by that? I mean that, so much that we it, got it to went, him, that it went as perfectly as the Islanders won. You got to him, and you forced Toronto to do something kind of embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was win, win, win. Is perfect. It was, you couldn't ask for any better, uh, except for maybe a shutout. But like that, I think that might be asking too much. <laughs> That's getting a little greedy, maybe. Yeah, probably. But yeah, you're always looking for more. Always looking for more. So. All right. Want to get into the social segment, Mitch? Sure. I don't really have anything. So do you, do you, what do you got? Okay. So it's perfect because we were just on this topic. Don Cherry, Mitch. Oh. Canada's own Don Cherry had an awful take this past week about the New York Islanders. And did you see that he said the Nassau Coliseum seats 17,000 people? Not only did I see that. I was confronted about it at work. Really? And they're like, hey, man, you guys had 17,000 there. It's going, 
that's not possible unless somehow the Nassau Coliseum added 4,000 seats that I wasn't aware of. I know they have the ability to add seats. I know the, the Coliseum has the ability to add seats. Not to that extent. No. Their capacity is 13,900 and change. Yeah, I think 971 or something like that. Something like that. It's capacity. I know that they can add seats. I know that there's a possibility to add more, but it's not 4,000. I thought it was like 2,500 they could do. Yeah, but it was just completely... Yeah, what he brought up was... Inaccurate information. Yeah, I don't know where he got those numbers from. He pulled that out of one of his dumb suits. And that that's just the thing is uh, everything about him bothers me, Mitch. Welcome it to really Canada. Does. Dude, he was voted like top five greatest Canadian at one point. Like, this was like 10, 15 years ago where Canada did this thing and we voted for our greatest Canadian. He didn't win. Uh, the guy who gave us free health care won. It was free. It's not free. But anyways, um, uh, Tommy Douglas won it. Uh, but he was up there in like the top five. It was Don Cherry. Maybe top 10. That- that's atrocious. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> you got your so him, you got your dumb traffic. We got our dumb guys in suits. I think I'd rather take the dumb guys in suits. <laughs> Although we have plenty of those here too. Uh, so that's the main thing I wanted to hit on for it. Um, other than that, I mean, pretty regular week on the old Twitter machine. So not a whole lot of new info there. No, not a whole lot. Uh, obviously, like we uh, mentioned, I think before the, the shovels are going not going into the ground for the for Belmont, but that I don't think that's anything to worry about. So people don't start freaking out just yet. Um, it, it, it's coming, as far as I can tell. Yes, no one really seems to be worried just yet. Uh, of course, there's there's always going to be a PR spin on that, but um, it, everything seems to be on track. Um, but more importantly, the New York Islanders are headed to the playoffs. Let's just keep reminding ourselves of that. The New York Islanders are headed to the playoffs in a year where they should not have been anywhere near it. No, that is for sure. So definitely enjoy the rest of the ride. It's going to be a busy month of March. Mm-hmm. We'll have you covered. So let's do the plugs. Let's get some plugs out of the let's way. Let's do that. So for all your post-game content, meaning post-game podcasts, you can subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash eyes on aisles, and we will give you about a half hour of New York Islanders talk after every single game. Definitely worth the $5 a month. You're going to want to get in on that, especially come playoff time. Now, you can also download our app, the Eyes on Isles app, so you can get push notifications to your phone anytime an article is published. You can, of course, visit the website, eyesonisles.com. Also, make sure to follow along with us on social media. We're on Twitter at Eyes on Isles FS. My personal Twitter is at Metal Leary NY. Mitch's is TLO Mitch. You could also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Eyes on Isles. And wherever you're listening to this show, please make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review. All that fun stuff. Really appreciate it. So, Mitch. I have one sorry. thing to add on, on for the social. This just, just I just showed up. Uh, it was Dart Guy. So if anyone knows anything about the Toronto Maple Leafs, this is a dumb guy who had a cigarette in his stupid mouth. At it. I think it was a playoff game. And now he's famous mm-hmm. because of that. Not the cat poop guy. Pretty close. We can get into that later if you want. There's a guy. Anyways, Dart Guy says, Since the warm reception Isles fans gave our boy JT on Long Island, their entire fourth has been injured. Not true. Um, they're ent- uh, they scored on their own net. Yeah, okay, fine. And they lost two straight to fall out of the first place in the Metro. We're back in the Metro. I'd say the hockey gods have voiced their opinion as well. Lol. God, Toronto is so stupid. God, I hate Toronto so much. 
They're so stupid. This is a guy who's just famous for having a cigarette in his dumb mouth. Enjoy the lung cancer. Fool. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Sorry, god. Sorry, that's so dumb. I, I hate Toronto so much. That now you again, another welcome to Canada edition. Yes. And if you want any more Welcome to Canada stuff, you can get at us on the Patreon <laughs> and ask us in the Canada corner for the mailbag, which will be coming out tomorrow. Sorry, I just, I just, that just came across my Twitter box, and I, and I had to say it. I had to get it out of me because I, I wouldn't have lasted another week to, to not get this out. All right, so that'll do it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. I am Matt O'Leary. He's Mitch Anderson. We will talk to you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.